The Evolved Succeed podcast, where founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders, and experts are interviewed to explore the link between personal and business success. We will also investigate and establish the need for ongoing personal development, accountability, and support. The objective is to inspire you, the audience, to be better in life and in business. Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My guest this week is Matt Hawkins, CEO of Kudo Ventures, which provides applications for users to monetize their computer hardware, either to create a new revenue stream or to donate to a good cause. He is also CEO of Kudos, which is a recently launched cryptocurrency. As you'll hear, Matt's entrepreneurial journey and his interest in computing started when he was just five years old. And his is a great story of someone who has followed their innate passion to considerable innovation and success. He is also someone that has showed that you can be a disruptor, often operating, as he calls it, on the bleeding edge, and this can lead to great success. So this makes for somewhat interesting discussions around the nature of risk and his own personal attitude to risk. In this podcast, Matt recalls his emotions after exiting his first business, I think we had one glass of champagne with the company that we'd signed the deal with. And then on the Saturday, I was just glad to get some sleep. <laughs> Talks about his noble reasons for continuing to work and innovate. There was two options. You know, I could start doing things for charity or, you know, raise money for charity. But actually, if I can use the knowledge that I've done and do good things for charity and, and the environment as well, I could actually scale that around the world rather than, you know, just make having a small impact. And goes some way to demystifying cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. If you treat it like an asset, so probably more like, well, it, it's akin to gold. You know, it's, it's always compared to gold, but you can treat the same principles with oil. You know, so every four years, the amount of coins that are earned by the miners halve. So it means the amount of supply coming into the market halves. If you want to know more about Evolve and the services that we offer, then please do go to evolvemembers.com. There you can join for free a community of like-minded business leaders. But for now, let's get on with the show. Welcome, Matt, to the Evolve Succeed podcast. Hey, Warren, good to be here. Yeah, well, it's great to have you on a guest. I've wanted you on the podcast for some time now. So great to finally be, uh, well, obviously we're in lockdown. So we're sat over the kind of uh, internet, uh, but very apt with you being a technology uh, entrepreneur and all of those things. I really want to discuss uh, with you your current venture, Kudo, and all things cryptocurrency during the course of this conversation. But Matt, you've been on such an interesting journey building and selling previous technology businesses. It's going to be wrong for me not to explore those early kind of aspects of your journey. And as I understand it, Matt, you started your first business at college and university selling computer equipment. How did that come about? Yeah, well, I sort of started when I was about six and my mum went to <laughs> went to uh, <laughs> Cash and Carry and used to get sweets cheap. So I used to go in there, buy them with all my pocket money and then spend them, sell them to the neighbours out of a plastic till in the garage. So that's sort of where it started. Very early days then. Yeah. <laughs> and I've always been into IT. I was sort of programming when I was five. So uh, at school, I was doing business studies, GCSE. Uh, yeah. and one of our projects was to set up a business. Uh, and I did that, I think that was 13 when I did that. And that sort of got the bug to do it properly. And I knew how it actually worked. Yeah. So I sort of started setting up, uh, this was well before the internet was anything in e-commerce. Um, so I, uh, there was still computer magazines, you know, and I, so I used to buy software and computers wholesale and sell them in the computer magazines. I used to advertise in the different um, Acorn magazines. That was the area that I was in. Okay. And that sort of was pretty good for pocket money through school and college. And then, uh, and then when I got to uni, I set up another business building computers for businesses, and that sort of helped subsidise my university degree. <laughs> wow! And where did that early interest in technology come from? Is it in the family, or is it just something that just hooked into? No, no, not not in the family at all. Actually, uh, my, my dad, you won't like me saying this, but my dad used to be the two finger typer. You know, on the keyboard, <laughs> he's improved a lot now. <laughs> You've taught him, have you? <laughs> yeah, 
I don't know really where it came from. I think, oh yeah, actually I do. Uh, so my, my handwriting was not great and I was, you know, it just wasn't very legible. And uh, as soon as I got given a computer when I was five, I was like, wow, this is it. And I was just yeah. typing away and loving it. And, and that was what got me into them, I think. Brilliant. So uh, just a born techie, really. <laughs> And so you left university and I think you did what most of us would do, which was take a job. But I understand that you soon started, I suppose, let's call it your first real business and company, Revenue Makers, which was an affiliate marketing yeah. company, was it? Yeah. So in the in the States, because the internet was sort of take, starting to take off at that point, um, affiliate marketing was taken off before before you had Google ads, really, before it had taken any traction. Um and uh, Amazon sort of was the first one to start that. So I created a site, you know, just information directories about it, did talks and stuff. And um, that became quite popular. I, I, actually, I was working for a, a company in London when I was doing it. Okay. Um, but they used to send me off to America for training for like a few months at a time. And while I was out there, that's sort of how I picked it up and went to a few conferences over there. And uh, in my spare time, set it up. And it became pretty popular. So there was an affiliate marketing company in the UK just starting out, but they've been running about a year. Wanted to grow the business faster. And, you know, that's what I was managing to do online. So I left that company and joined them to sort of help help grow their client base and stuff. And managed to do, because I've been doing it for a while, I sort of knew how it worked. Uh, did 10,000% in 12 months. Right. This is pretty good growth from my wow. <laughs> user base from when I joined and the stuff I put in. I mean, I suppose it's probably something about your mind and it's about technology, but are you always intrigued about what's new and what's different and what's happening? Is that one of the things that's helped you succeed, do you think, Matt? Yeah, I, I do like building stuff that's kind of a bit bleeding edge, Okay, you know, or, or best of breed. And as new technologies come out, there's things that, you know, that you may have as a pipe dream for many years, but then all of a sudden one day that technology exists. And if you now pull together, you know, a load of different projects, a load of different technologies, you can now build things which were a pipe dream five, 10 years ago. So, you know, I've always had a dream of being able to build things better and use technology to do that. So I think that's probably where the bug comes from is I like building stuff and and seeing it succeed and then, you know, doing good with it as well. You know, if, if we can, as well as, you know, doing well, you know, financially as a business, actually, if you can help people uh, and, you know, help the world, improve the world with it at the same time, that's an even better thing. I suppose it's about having a purpose that's more than just making money, isn't it, Matt? Yeah. Yeah, you can, you can make money, but then you, you know, <laughs> I think you need to benefit the world at the same time. Definitely. And, I suppose that piece about you mentioned the word sort of bleeding edge, and but that's going to be quite a difficult place to be at times, Matt, isn't it? Because isn't it times when you know we'll go on to talk about C4L and Kudo and all of those things, but by being at the bleeding edge, you take huge amounts of risk at times for good and significant rewards if it comes off. But you know, have you got any experiences of being at that bleeding edge and it not quite going to plan? Many. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing about being at it. I think. Um, I mean, if it, it, the good thing is if it's a bleeding edge and it does go to plan, you accelerate way faster than you could in any stable environment. Um, and, you know, you've kind of got your, your bell curve of the growth cycle, you know, of a, of a product and the market. And I think, you know, you can, you can go for the, the laggards and the slow moving market, but it means you, what you build moves slow and, mm -hmm. and what the technology you build moves slow. So I think, you need a balance because you need a stable business and a yeah. foundation to build on. But if you've got that foundation, it gives you the luxury of then being able to build things that are yeah. bleeding edge. And it is more exciting. Yeah. And if you can be the first to do something, I think that's always exciting as well and proves that it is possible when you know people haven't managed to do it before. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's about the excitement as much as anything. I think. And that's clearly got a very you know, high level of attitude towards risk, but... You've also got to be quite self-confident to deal with all the naysayers and the kind of doubters, haven't you? How do you have that inner confidence at times to persevere with a project that is sort of at that bleeding edge? I mean, I, I'm an only child, and I think with that sort of attitude, is just get on and do it. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think that's probably part of it. <laughs> 
you know, you, you'll always have naysayers in whatever you yeah. do. And I, th- I think the more and more times that you do it and there have been naysayers saying you can't do it and then you've done it again and you've done it again and done it again. You know, it's a proven model and it's harder and harder. And I found as things went on, people stopped saying yeah. that because I kept achieving all the things that I said we were going to achieve. Yeah. So that's, you know, proofs in the pudding. It's down to your, your commitment and your skill set, I think, to do it and to bring in other people that can help you do it. So I suppose that comes down to desire, passion and belief, doesn't it, really? And a bit and focus. Yeah. 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 And being able to constantly get knocked down and get back yeah. up again. <laughs> Just crack Resilience. on. <laughs> and that probably leads into your kind of story when, you know, you left the affiliate marketing world in, in 2000, uh, started your next company, C4L. And what did yep. that, you know, for our listeners, what did that company do? How did the company come about? Well, while I was running Revenue Makers, uh, when I joined that other company, you know, and they they sort of took over it as part of me joining as well. You know, I, I set up an online business uh, with a friend. It was a social media site, actually. And, you know, we used to go to nightclubs and <laughs> party and stuff quite a bit. And, you know, we, we collated all that info online and there were forums and photos and it basically your early equivalent yeah. of Facebook. But that became really popular. It was about the third busiest site in the UK in, in that space. So uh, one of the clubs came to us and said, you know, we'd, we'd like you to do the same for us as you managed to do for your site. Uh, and, you know, we, we won the quote, the contract for it. Uh, and I was like, great, I can set up a web design company. Okay. So that's what we've been doing, essentially. And as part of it, you know, we got... We got VIP access everywhere, free backstages, <laughs> everything. And it was like, it was great. You know, and we got paid yeah. for doing the contract. So it was, that was in 2000. Uh, and because our site was so busy, you know, I had to buy servers, set up bandwidth and data center space and stuff to cope with all the bandwidth that we, we and the demand. And doing that, I just realized, you know, it was really difficult because cloud yeah. didn't exist back then. And I thought everyone else has got to be going through exactly the same challenges we did. And it took a long time to get everything set up. And I thought if I package this up, you know, like version one of cloud and make it very easy for people to do, it would be, you know, surely that's going to work. And we offered it back to the data centers and the data centers offered it out to their clients. And they started winning a lot more deals because of it. Um, and we replicated that model into other data centers and they were winning more deals. So, and it, it really grew from there, you know, so it actually became an infrastructure company rather than a design company we were only a web design company for about 12 months or i was so. going to say at some point that just dwindled and you just let that yeah. drop away and became this connectivity and infrastructure company yes yeah exactly and actually for uh for the first year you know because we were doing design i used to pay for our rent by doing the flyers and yeah. posters for the building that we were in right. <laughs> so that was a good way to do it um but yeah when when the infrastructure side took off you know, that model replicated and just grew really quickly. Yeah, we, we started off, well, it was, it was me and one other I brought on. And there was three of us for probably the first 12 months. And then pretty quickly, I think there was within three years, it must have been 15 of us or something. So it scaled really quickly Yeah, <laughs> and carried on. And is that, I suppose that's another example of just seeing an opportunity in pivoting, is that not being scared to pivot when yeah. an opportunity presented itself. Yeah, it, it was clear, you know, it was the start of the internet and there was an opportunity that everyone had overbuilt in the 90s. Yeah. You had the crash in 2000. Um, you had massive oversupply into the market and it was a really great opportunity to try and build something at that time. And it was quite obvious that that was the case. So we focused on you know, building that during that stage and then it was about 2005-ish that the market started to then really internet market you know yeah. start again to it was recovered and started to scale up like like most you know economic cycles yeah and you were there to, to make use of that opportunity and i suppose what ambitions did you have for c4l and you know once it was an infrastructure and a con- connectivity business what ambitions did you have for the business what did you dream or want it to become i i enjoyed building <laughs> like i said earlier I expected to have it for a lot longer, actually, okay. originally. You know, I, I thought it would be many, you know, many tens of years, actually, thinking yeah. about it. And, yeah, that, that was probably my plan. Because we were an asset-heavy business, mm-hmm. you know, we had to build 
we were building networks, data centers, server farms, things like this. It's very expensive, very capital intensive. And you're always having to raise capital so that you can build out the next thing. Uh, And that's always your limiting factor. Uh, And the market changes, you know, the market obviously changed massively from, I ended up selling that business in 2016. So in 16 years, the internet world changed a lot. Yeah, it went from nothing to being, you know, everything, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That everything sits on. But also technology changed. So, you know, it was now possible to build things in a completely different way that were difficult to even imagine, you know, when when I started the business. So it it was the right time, you know, that actually technology's moved on. You know, we're better to be much well, part of a much bigger business. Yeah which is what we did, you know, we ended up reversing into another company and they can take, make use of all the infrastructure that we built around the country and data center space and things like this. So we built a really, you know, valuable asset and a big network and ended up providing about 1% of the UK's infrastructure. And it was then the ideal time to be part of a bigger company that could make use of that. Because of that kind of, I assume, because the fact it is so capital intensive to do that. And I, I suppose that would lead on to that question, you know, by the sounds of one of the reasons for exit was the lack of capital outlay. Do you think, you know, what should the UK be doing with regard to helping tech businesses and get tech businesses funded? Because there seems to be no funding really out there rather than traditional funding. Or once you get to a scale, there's VC type funding, isn't there? And But there is this kind of gap, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, there is an incredibly large angel market. Yeah that has got a huge appetite for investment at the moment. I think that is the answer rather than, well, it'd be great, you know, for the, the government to provide more, but actually it exists yeah. already. You know, it, if you, as long as you have, you know, an investable business and a good idea and a good team, then there is huge amounts of capital waiting there for these types of projects. There's no short supply whatsoever. Um, so it's really then down to, making sure that, you know, your your idea is valid and, and it's investable and everything's been thought through. And obviously it's down to how much you want to raise as well. Uh, but, you know, the most important thing I would say is if you're raising with angels is that you get uh, EIS certified yeah. so that, you know, the investors are EIS eligible at least, um, which means that they get a tax incentive, you know, a large tax incentive actually if it's EIS or SEIS to invest in you. So it's a much easier decision. And if you can't get to the point of, you know, you haven't got enough in place and it's hard to get a valuation, then you do something like an advanced subscription agreement or, you know, a convertible note or something like that, that enables people to invest now. And then maybe you've got a real valuation in 12 months or 24 months, and then they can convert it into it. So I think, that's definitely the best first approach for people at the moment, yeah. in my view. If you just want something small, you know, really small, yeah. <laughs> and you're like a one-man band with an idea at the moment, then there's small loans and, you know, things up to sort of 5K. There's quite a few government options as well for that. But actually setting up, you know, a business with staff and things, you, you really need to go for a private investment. And, that, and, and that's a stage before VC. Yeah. And I, I would say always go to that stage before VC personally and having spoken to many people that have been through VC as well. Yeah. Um, I think when you're sort of still finding your feet uh, and you've still got to prove where you are and you're in a seed stage, you know, yeah. not, not in a series A stage or beyond, then, yeah, the friends, family and an angel network. So rather than, you know, speaking to 100, 200 angels, work with angel networks um, and they can bring in new pools of people that can all make smaller investments Brilliant. is a better way to sort of scale time, especially if you're not so experienced in raising. Yeah, that's really good advice for our listeners. Thank you, Matt. And I suppose that, yeah, that angel kind of environment has grown exponentially over the last five years, isn't it? As as returns yeah. on cash have been so small and, you know, that people are looking for different avenues. But that probably wasn't there when you were sort of developing C4L, was it? no. No, not at all. Actually, I raised. No, I didn't do any equity in CFL. It was all on debt, so that that was a learning curve in doing in debt. But I, I would say, actually, if you have assets in your business, asset finance totally changed our business. 
and enable us to re- release the capital because if you if you know you're getting a return off your assets over three years, you know it just matches your business model perfectly. Don't I do speak to some people and they say, you know, it's not worth paying the 6%. And I was like, if your business is growing more than 6%, it's already worth doing. Yeah. If, you, if your net return is, yeah, if your net return is 20% on a, on a sale, your net return, then it's going to pay for itself, isn't it? So Yeah. And you can, exactly. can grow. So obviously you had a very successful exit out of C4L uh, in 2016. If you look back now, how did it feel when you sold that business? Because that was your true baby wasn't it it's was a business you really yeah started at a young age grew matured in pivoted developed and then exited and i'm always interested and intrigued to see how people feel when they look back on hindsight at the exit from that kind of business yeah uh and i was in two minds of selling because it is your baby it becomes your life as yeah. well it's not just a job you know it, it's it becomes part of your personality as well because you sort of are that company yeah. <laughs> And, you know, you end up friends with everybody that you work with. And, you know, so it is probably, you know, the majority of your life. Um, so it is quite, when you go through the, the sales is a huge amount of time, you know, and hours and many, many nights going past, you know, midnight and working through the night trying to get, trying to get it done. Yeah. Going through due diligence. Yeah. yeah. And one one of the things I'd just say is if, if you do want to consider selling your business, you know, even if you're doing it in two years' time, get the paperwork sorted out now. <laughs> that was one thing I learned was, uh, yeah, you know, running a business for 16 years and we're now trying to find a contract from 14 years ago. <laughs> These things just, you know, you, you don't even think like that. You know, it's, luckily there's a much better CRMs and everything that's in place now, but most things just get either stuck in a cupboard or, scanned and stuck in a folder on a file server somewhere yeah, and you think you'll never <laughs> need them you, you need think them. you'll never need yeah, access exactly. to them and then the buyer says what's about yeah and have you yeah. got <laughs> yeah we, we ended up having to bring a team of admin people in to try and like, get everything in place for three months yeah. um so it's a huge huge amount of work if, if it's a complex business you know if, if you haven't been running it yeah. for long and it's relatively small it's much easier but yeah I, i'd say you spend a lot of time just getting all that in place yeah. to start with so yeah, you've gone through all of that and then you've sold. So we signed the contract on the Friday. This is Feb 16. And then like the Saturday, I was just, I think we had one glass of assembly with the company that we'd signed the deal with. And then on the Saturday, I was just glad to get some sleep. <laughs> it, was, it was just a relief. And it was on the Monday. It's like, I've now got to integrate our company with this yeah. company that bought us. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, straight back to the grindstone. So it's like, you literally think you're going to party and celebrate, but actually you haven't even got time to think no. about it. You know, you're, you're recovering for that first weekend and then you're back to it. So the, the real one was I was there for six months doing the handover. Yeah. And then once the handover's done, it's like, okay, now's the, you know, and then, and then I left. That was the point that you sort of actually celebrate yeah. was because you've got some time off for the first time. You know, I didn't took hardly any holidays, but you know, the whole time I ran the business. So that was sort of the point it felt real. Yeah. And it was it was the fact that I could just buy things, you know, and I never actually had any money when I was running C4L. It all I went back in to fuel the growth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I never even owned a yeah. car and you know, everything was rented and stuff. So, yeah, it was a, just a complete change of life. So I, I took a year off, which yeah. was really nice. That was probably the best bit. I sort of probably spent... 15 years of catching up on holidays yeah, traveling and just catching your breath really yeah but if you've got an active mind and you you think like that the whole time you're thinking all oh, right what, what else is there and i you know i'd always had the pipe dream of what i'm doing now so after the year it was you know it's like i was starting to get itchy feet and i was like i need to <laughs> do something proactive yeah. <laughs> i can't just you know travel or do other things like that and you, you talk about what you're doing now. So how did that come about? Obviously, you, you said it was a pipe dream. You know, I suppose, talk us through that process then, because you're financially secure, you're traveling the world, you're, you know, you've been able to buy yourself a nice car and, and house and, and do those things that a lot of people aspire to do. And But there must have been a point where you thought, I can go again, I can do more, I can... I, I, my mind is, needs to be challenged. And what was the actual switch, Matt? I think it was just one day I was just sat at home and uh, 
I was just bored. <laughs> you know, nothing yes, to do. Nothing to do. <laughs> and I was like, this is, this is rubbish. <laughs> I need something challenging, challenging. You know, mentally challenging. Yeah. So I had, you know, I'd always wanted. Well, not always, but probably for about ten years, wanted to um, build something to make use of the spare computing in the world. You know, use yeah. people's spare PCs, games PCs, consoles, mobile phones. Data centers still have, you know, 30% spare capacity pretty much on average. Um, backbone internet is like 80% spare capacity. So you've got all this spare capacity around the world that uses a huge amount of CO2 building it in the first place in data centers yeah. and servers, but then it sat there empty, you know, do it, not doing nothing for half the time. It's over at any point in time, you've got over half a billion devices doing nothing, which could all be doing computing, which means we don't need to keep building data centers in reality. Right. And I'd wanted to do that for a long time and put together a plan in 2011, but it's just the technology didn't exist. And then as of about, well, actually 2016, probably about 60, 70% of it existed, literally went, you know, like market usable in, in that period. Yeah. And then over the next two years, like some other core technologies we needed have become mature. So really as of the last two years, it's the first time you could really build this. Okay. So, yeah, I realized, you know, for the first time, I could actually build this and it's technically possible. And it's basically, in simple terms, it's Airbnb for cloud computing. You know, you see okay. how Airbnb's changed the, you know, hotel industry. And, you know, we, we can do the same for the cloud industry and provide much more scalable, but also, you know, more sustainable cloud computing. And rather than all the money purely going up to, you know, the corporates and the hyperscalers that provide this, like Amazon and the others... Actually, everyone can benefit from it. So you've got a more sustainable for the community as well as for the environment. And that was that was it. And I was like, I realised actually we can now build this, which is quite exciting. Yeah. And how does the model work then? So I've got you know a business with a server or some servers that are underutilised, maybe underutilised at night. Do you tap in and utilise that power? What do you do with that power? How do you remunerate? The, those that own the computing power how does it all kind of work as a model man yeah so uh so we built an application that kind of runs on windows linux mac on your mobile well not on mobile yeah. phone. we are bringing out a mobile phone version um and it makes it you know it knows when there's spare resources on those machines and then you know we, we get paid uh by companies to use that spare resources so they're a mixture of cloud computing resources uh, and blockchain resources um, and blockchain, you know, if you look at blockchain, blockchain is all about being decentralized. Um, and that's what, you know, we've built as a network. Um, so that, that was the aim was to monetize it and run any types of workloads in a secure environment, um, that can run on those machines when they're not being used. So we realized, okay. you know, we, some of the workloads to start with were blockchain workloads and there's actually about six-ish billion a year generated from blockchain at the moment workloads mm. um so it gave us revenue streams straight away so you know right now a games a new games pc is earning about 300 dollars a month using our software which wouldn't have been possible three four years ago so you know all of a sudden you know people can actually earn quite a lot out of that hardware and we can we're now starting to work with big cloud providers uh, like video rendering, you know, 3D special effects, artificial intelligence companies yeah. that over the you know coming months this year, they're going to start pushing out their computing onto these devices and rewarding other people rather than, you know, just going central again. Wow. And so what have your, it's an amazing kind of venture and it's, it's interesting to see, you know, the environmental angle and, you know, the ability to do good generally and kind of, and there's a passion there, I know. Uh, I can hear that in your voice to do that. What, but what have been your challenges in developing this business, perhaps compared to something like Super um, Well, I actually started this. So it's you know it's called Kudo, but I actually started it as Kudo Donate. So initially, I wanted people to uh, donate those resources to charity. Yeah. So the funds that are generated off those devices, they get paid to the charities that, that people want to support. But we realized actually that there's a lot more that we've got to build around this before it's suitable. So we did sign up charities. We've got a lot of people donating. But to scale, we had to build a lot more around it. So we focused on building the platform. Um, and, and still, that is a big goal. You know, we have an ultimate goal of 
raising in total, this is over a period, but a billion dollars for charities, which sounds huge. It sounds an enormous amount of money. Two million devices, which isn't massive when you look at it in that terms over a five year period. Um, So that that's ultimately still a goal for us. um, But we need to build a lot, you know, a lot more on the other platforms to do that first. And we to do that, we one of the things I learned actually from my last company was partnerships is really key. You know, if you can sell through partners and partner with large companies, most of our revenue and, you know, the business came through our partners actually um, running C4L. So we took this approach. So we've, we've partnered with big, really big brands like um, AMD, you know, the, the hard chip manufacturer. Yep. We've worked with them. They, they're using our software and, and they're rebranding our software and going to the market with it. Okay. So have you? So you've allowed them to sort of white label your software? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's going out in the next few weeks, which that's expected to bring a few million users onto the network. So, and we've got some big games companies doing similar things. Okay. Um, so it's it's about you know partnering with really big partners that give you access to markets that you wouldn't be able to get into. And how do you? I mean, again, that's about not being scared to ask the question and to make the approach. I suppose. But for our listeners that are thinking, actually, partnership could be for them, but they're, you know, relatively small business now looking to partner with some of those, you know, AMD global businesses. How do you go about starting those conversations? Yeah, I mean, we're tiny compared to AMD, obviously. Yeah, of course, yeah. So it's irrelevant what size company you are, really. It's down to the team and whether that company can trust in you. Okay. It's 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 completely irrelevant of the size of your business as long as it's stable and you've got a stable model and that they can use your technology or they can use your customer base or your products or whatever you know that that, that's a business model that many companies have taken and sold to oracle for example you can be a tiny company that's got some great ip that but they'll then sell it to their entire enterprise customer base so it's about creating something that's really valuable and then they actually have channels for it Uh, amd we're the first one AMD have done this in many years, actually. But uh, Oracle, for example, they it's regular. You know, they, they do this all the time. Um, so the best way, we, we actually, you know, one of my team really managed to hunt down someone in AMD, one of the senior people. Okay. Uh, and, and then managed to get him to agree to meet up at a conference. Okay. Which is a bit different now. Yeah. Because everything's <laughs> virtual. A virtual confidence in, in yeah. this day and age, but a real yeah. world one back in the time. That's it. Yeah. So, yeah, that was just like persistence. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't give up. It's the same with business. You know, don't, don't give up. Just keep trying. Um, but just have the right approach. But... Like I was saying, you know, there's a lot of other platforms like Oracle or Microsoft, actually. They, they have channels that you can go in and offer these things. Yeah. It, it's the same, probably the same skill set as if you're trying to raise funds from, you know, investors. It, it, you sort of need to take it with that approach and the presentation and, and show what the benefits are of them working with you. And then don't expect it to be quick. You know, we've been working on this for two years. So the, the bigger the company, the slower it's going to take, obviously. Which could be frustrating when you're a small startup with ambition yeah, and drive. Yeah, you want to move yeah. fast. Yeah. But, you know, so that can't be your core business if you haven't started signing up businesses. Yeah. So, you know, just make that part of your strategy. And that, but that's the long-term strategy. You know, it might take three months or, I mean, it's, it's usually the large corporates would take three to six months yeah. anyway, if you're lucky, quite often 12 months or more. Because they've just got the, the processes and life cycles internally but all businesses can think like that can't they they can think about even with another smaller business how they could work collaboratively how you can partner how you how you know the one plus one equals three kind of approach is a, is a way of thinking and developing and growing your business i suppose obviously this business has taken i assume quite a lot of investment and faith and yeah. um you know you I assume you're raising equity now and all of those kind of things. Having you know, you're talking about it earlier on the podcast, it felt like you're talking from experience. But has there ever been a point in this venture where you thought, right, I've kind of made some money, I've sold a business, I was secure, I'm now reinvesting back into something else? Was there ever a moment of truth where you doubted yourself, Matt? I think there's been quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, things don't go smoothly in business. That's part of yeah. business. That's it. 
Um, yeah, there's definitely been quite a few. That's that's in the last three years. Yeah, I could have just sat back and just you know jumped peanut butter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I I want to do something good. You know, and I did look at you know there was two options. You know, I could start doing things for charity or you know yeah. raise money for charity. But actually, if I can use the knowledge that I've done and do good things for charity and, and the environment yeah. as well, I could actually scale that around the world rather than, you know, just make having a small impact. So that's partly what drove it. And yeah, we, we've hit numerous obstacles, but, you know, you get around them. But it is tiring, you know, it's back to the many, many hours per yeah. week. <laughs> and when you do hit one of those obstacles or you have that down day, you know, what drive you to get back up or how do you regenerate and rejuvenate yourself and get focused again i mean for me it's just make sure you get your seven or eight hours sleep yeah <laughs> i can do i'm quite comfortable doing 40 nowadays it's like that's that's sort of my mental limit and then I, my performance yeah. goes down a little bit <laughs> um but you know as, i find as long as i get sleep just wake up and you know just get on the next yeah. day and you have to put everything into perspective and, okay, if everything goes wrong, what position are you going yeah. to be in? And are you comfortable in that position if everything yeah. goes wrong? And if it doesn't, you know, you probably want to change your stance a little bit so that at least if everything goes wrong, you know, you're still okay. De-risk a bit, even if it's going to cost a bit now, you know, is yeah. is worth it. And just prepare in advance, you know, don't, don't leave things to the last minute. You know, raising takes it's a good three to six months really to raise yeah and i got told that and i read that and i thought oh, surely i can do it faster <laughs> and you get into that process and you're like oh my god yeah i'll be lucky if you do it in six months <laughs> so just plan ahead and and do it yeah assume it's well most people in business know things take at least to three times what you plan yeah <laughs> so plan that it's going to take that long yeah raising money is no different i know that from experience yeah, too yeah definitely. so obviously on a long-term journey with kudo is this the business that you'll see you're out or is there other ideas in the back of your mind and other things and itches and things you'd like to go and scratch so we've got kudo which is the compute part but also you know blockchain is growing at a massive rate about 70 percent per year and, you know, deep for people that understand the blockchain side, DeFi, distributed finance is hugely accelerating and it's going to completely revolutionize the way finance works. Mm. But I'd say 2020 was the year of distributed finance. You know, I think this year can be the year of distributed computing. Okay. So, you know, we, we've done uh, quite a lot on the blockchain side as well. Yeah. And I think we can make as big an impact in traditional computing as we can in blockchain because no one's achieved merging blockchain and cloud computing together yet okay you know, and we're on a good way of doing that so i think that's really going to be the success so so we've just recently you know done our, our own cryptocurrency as well and we're launching our blockchain in the next couple of months so that you know that and the beauty of blockchain is you know with a traditional business you've got contracts you've got you know adoption you, the things still well they can move really quickly if you're doing it with partners but it's still slow compared to blockchain. Whereas blockchain, anyone in the world can download software and integrate and run in a matter of seconds. And it's in any current, uh, in any language. So it's just, a, you know, I thought IT space was fast, but blockchain space is, yeah. you know, another 10x. <laughs> um, so that's really exciting for me, you know, is we are, again, on the bleeding edge and, and building things that haven't been built before or successfully achieved before. So... I think, you know, enjoying the buzz of that. Yeah. And are you, am I right in thinking you are actually raising money through a cryptocurrency and a coin raise? Uh, we were, that's all finished now. Okay. Actually. So that all went live uh, two days ago. You know, we, we listed on the first exchange and then we've got a number of exchanges around the world list like lined up over the next couple right. of months. So okay. yeah, that, that's been a steep learning curve. I think as, as much as raising capital is a learning yeah. curve, it's exactly the same in blockchain. Actually. It's probably more complex than blockchain. There's a lot more regulatory things in, that you need to take. Uh, and it's global rather than just having to worry about the UK. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's all live. So it's you know, that's called um, kudos is, is the cryptocurrency. We did well, actually. We, we 
well, certainly at the moment, we're listed number one in, in all cryptocurrencies with the, with the launch. That wow. Round of applause. Uh, with the speed, which I was surprised at. I was like, I thought it was good, but you know, I was, was not expecting that. So for our listeners, in sort of layman's terms, if you can, you know, what does a QDOS cryptocurrency do? Yeah, so it's, well, it can be used basically to buy or sell compute resources anywhere in the world. Okay. So you know, one of the issues with blockchain is that it can't connect to traditional IT, you know, in, into the traditional world. So we, we connect blockchain and, and cloud computing. Um, but anyone can now buy and sell computing capacity. That's the idea behind it and, and support the network and be part of it. Brilliant. Uh, and then they can generate those tokens, you know, for themselves and, and spend them, uh, or they can also generate, uh, for charity, you know, and, and give the money to charity, but it, it enables us to, it doesn't matter what currency, what country, you know, it gives us a big global computing network that we can scale much faster. Brilliant. So would you be one of the individuals that would go against the current kind of narrative that the Bitcoin price is hyped and overinflated or how do you see that? So Bitcoin and, and its market follows a four year cycle. Okay. And if you know how the market works, you know, it's it's pretty clear how that cycle works. But you, if you treat it like an asset, so probably more like, well, it, it's akin to gold, you know, it's, it's always compared to gold, but you can treat the same principles with oil, you know. Yeah. So every four years, the amount of coins that are earned by the miners halve. Okay. Um, so it means the amount of supply coming into the market halves. And that has an impact on the price in the same way that you see when, you know, there's oversupply of oil. Yeah. Or there's undersupply of gold, you know, you again get the same impact. Um, but then you've got the economic environments, such as, you know, most governments at the moment are printing money to pay for, you know, bailing everybody out of COVID, you know, all, all the costs, bailing businesses, individuals. So you've got devaluation of standard fiat currencies all around the world. So there's a lot of uh, investors that are moving their funds into something that isn't going to reduce in value yeah and which is driving it at the same time of us going through this four-year cycle and then also you know you've got ethereum and these other blockchains that exist and actually in the same way that it really took about 10 years for the first anything useful really useful you know like e-commerce to be built on the internet You've got the same now happening on Ethereum and these other blockchains that you've actually got industries being built on it. Okay. So all of a sudden, the technology is viable. You know, it's being used as a, in a and purely for Bitcoin, it's being used as an asset to leverage against loss of your current currencies. And then we're, as English people, you know, we're, we're really privileged to have a stable government and a stable currency mm. compared to many other countries, you know, like... Um, in Africa, in Turkey, in, in Iceland, other places where they've had massive depreciation of their currency, um, your money's not even insured when it's in the banking system. Mm. And even, you know, Iceland government went bankrupt yeah. and, and people lost their money. People lost their money in Turkey, you know, when the, they had issues there. So actually, a state, the most stable place you can put your currency in those countries is into cryptocurrency. So it's used for different things depending on where you are in the world and depends on the economic environment you live in. So, and, and also, if you look at the cost to transfer funds, you know, if you want to transfer from pound into, uh, I don't know, uh, yen, you know, you have to go via, via the banking system. You have to go by many routes where everyone takes a cut and a percentage in between. And none of that exists. So it, it, it does replace as a good, you know, currency replacement system. Yeah. For, holding currency and transferring currency. So when you actually look at the economics and how it all exists, it's not just, you know, the, the daffodil craze <laughs> that it came out as a bubble to start with. It's actually completely revolutionizing finance industry, Ethereum is at least, and many of the other blockchains that come. So I think, you know, this is 2020 really was the year that it's mature as a technology and now a lot, a lot more is going to be built on top of it. So... I believe in it as a technology and the technology itself. The more you use something, the more value it has, the same as any company. Brilliant. Thank you, Matt. Well, that was an explanation I understood. And I can <laughs> see, yeah. and I can, you know, you start to see when you listen to that about different currencies around the world, 
And you can also start to see maybe there was a bit of hype around it where the principles and you know of, of crypto and blockchain was there, but there wasn't the technology developed that would use it and build on that platform. And I, I get that. I can understand that. The best way to compare it is the twenty, you know, the two thousand dot com bubble. Yeah, was all this hype and all these projects that had no, you know, material value to them didn't actually have anything behind them. In the late nineties, we get all getting financed, all getting funded, uh, and then there was the big crash in two thousand, and that's exactly what happened in twenty seventeen because the market wasn't mature, no technology really existed. Yeah. Whereas this time around, technology exists, people are using it, the market's mature. Most of the money coming in is institutional money. Yeah. And and it's just a completely different space. So, you know, you'll still have your cycles like you do with S&P and every other yeah. market. But, you know, it, it's now a, actually a, a good technology. Brilliant. Thank you, Matt. Round off a few sort of questions, sort of more personal questions, I suppose. How do you think being entrepreneurial as you have been and being focused and driven as you have been have affected your kind of personal life? What person I would probably need the answer to that. <laughs> well, that probably is the answer then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh yeah, it, take, it has a massive impact. Um, I think you, it's important that I, I just do naturally see, you know, friends and meet up with everybody and stuff. But, you know, it does have a big impact. The way I do it now, actually, is which I didn't used to do, but I, I just start really early. Yeah. I usually start sort of half five, half six, something like that. And then it means that I can finish at a reasonable time and then have a normal <laughs> life yeah. but it does still mean one day weekends rather than two day weekends yeah so I, it comes as part of it really it's the the only way around that in my view is that you get a great team around you that can pick up you know um, as much of it so you need people that are way better than you are at the areas that they specialize in and that's the only way to reduce that workload yeah so you are doing it different second time round to a degree. Yeah, yeah, I am definitely. It was really I found it one of the most difficult things was to find people in this area that had the skills that I needed. Yeah, to run that business was was really hard last time. This time, actually, COVID in you know the fact that we've now gone remote working. Yeah, it means that you can find people that don't have to be purely local. You know, we're still trying to keep to the southwest so that when we meet up, we can meet up, yeah. or the south at least. But that that makes it much better, and it, 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 then it's easier to find really good people. Got a wider pool of expertise to call upon, haven't you? Yeah. And is there anybody out there that's been an inspiration to you, or anybody that in particular, perhaps that inspires you to do what you do? I learned quite a lot of techniques and strategies from the Richard Branson book that I read okay a long time ago <laughs> long long time ago yeah yeah so that that was interesting um and uh Christopher Bayliss as well okay you know I used to he used to run I'm not sure if he still does yeah he used to run um some workshops basically every month yeah and we would probably about 20 business owners would meet up and you just go through, well, there'd be a different schedule each month and you'd be going through it, but you'd be reviewing your business and then people could come with problems yeah. in the business. But sort of the advice and learnings that I got from that were invaluable, invaluable as you grow your business. Yeah. You know, when I, I think we were 15 when I started and 65 when I left. So, but you have to re-change your business, yeah. you know, as you sort of hit glass ceilings and different structures and it's not... Actually, I thought I would have learned all that stuff in business studies, <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, degrees, but I didn't, um, you know, it wasn't in there. So actually running a business isn't taught in that. Yeah. I think you get it, you, know, you get it in an MBA, but I didn't do that. Yeah. I think, well, you get a lot of theory, don't you? But the nuts and bolts of what happens and the emotion, what you can't learn is the emotion of running your business and the emotion of leading a team. That's the bit that I don't think you could ever put in a course, however good the course, you know, the reality of it when it's yours and you're having a good day in the highs and you're having a bad day and it's the lows and you carry those with you, you know, for a period of time or through a night on a restless night's sleep. But you've got to come back into the to the office, into the business the next day with the same energy and the same passion and motivate a team. You can't you can't learn that on any course, can you? No. Exactly. And but you know, that piece around, you know, getting together with peers and getting together with like minded individuals and sharing your issues clearly is what evolved 
is all about and you know i was part of something very similar called bow shop back in the day and that's, that's what one. drives yeah. me to do you know what i do now with evolve so and then one final question is um how do you define success what does success uh i haven't been on this wonderful journey you know and you look back now what does success mean to you matt uh, it's different to everybody obviously yeah mm. <laughs> i think it is well enjoying what you do really yeah you know, I think that's the most important thing. If you're not enjoying what you do and you, and, you, and you don't see a way out, you know, it might be, we all go through points where you're not enjoying it and it's a really tough time. Yeah. But if you look forward and you think, actually, it's always going to be like this, then you need to change what you're doing yeah. uh, or, or do something new or change how you're doing it. So, I, I, yeah, for me, it it's just about enjoying it, really. It's probably the most important thing, actually. Perfect. It is enjoy what you're doing. Fantastic. And if people want to find out more about Matt and Kudo and what you're up to, where can they go? So if you want to see the blockchain part, you know, which is Kudos, so that's uh, kudos.org, C-U-D-O-S.org. The main business is called Kudo Ventures, where which is like the group business rather. Um, so that's just, yeah, C-U-D-O Ventures.com. And yeah, on, on both of those. Perfect. That's great, Matt. Thank you for being an awesome guest on um, the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Sorry, pleasure. Thanks. I love that conversation with Matt. His bright and enthusiastic attitude is both refreshing and inspiring. I also found his bold but calculated approach to risk-taking is a valuable example, especially to anyone thinking of starting a new venture. Ultimately, Matt's success boils down to what he said about the importance of enjoying what you do. I think many of us take it for granted that we are fulfilled by our work, but actually, it's not something everyone is lucky enough to experience. So perhaps if you do love what you do, then consider yourself fortunate and keep pressing on to new heights. But if you're feeling restless, maybe it's time to make that bold decision and go after the thing that is really going to drive you. If you want further access to insightful content, events and inspiration together with details of the peer group and coaching and development services offered by Evolve, then please do go to evolvemembers.com. There you can also register for free to be part of the Evolve community of like-minded business leaders. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode and if so, can you help us please by rating, reviewing and subscribing to future episodes. I look forward to you joining me again next week. Thank you.